Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. Good morning, everyone. It is, it is good to see you all. It is not only good to be here, as I've said since June, since I've been able to do still a little bit of travel, and it's just good to be anywhere. And so I'm just glad to be able to be out and about. And uh, hopefully that will continue. We will see. I don't know. There's a lot of crazy things going on right now in our world all the way around us. But uh, it's always an honor to be here. I always love being able to spend some time with Pastor Jared and his family. And, of course, Pastor Kevin and Lisa. And, and we, love, uh, we love the whole team here. And bless you guys. Uh, let me uh, uh, say a couple things just, just real quick. Uh, first of all... Uh, you know, had a blast yesterday, but you know, you snooze, you lose. So, but uh, we re- we actually really had a good time. I've actually during the whole COVID season, I've been putting together e courses on video, and it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. We're finally in a place where we moved to uh, near Louisville, Kentucky, that they have all the equipment and they have the people that can edit it and run the cameras and do all that kind of stuff. And so, I just finished our fourth one, and by February. Uh, we should have actually a six-hour course up, uh, all on all on the last days, all on end times. I, I spend three hours just going over all the four major views through church history. Most most people don't even know there's more than one way to look at a lot of this stuff, uh, and it's amazing how much of what we were taught, especially this Bible Belt area. Most of what we were taught is actually the new kid on the block. It's less than 160, 170 years old. And it's actually not what anyone believed in the early church and not what anyone believed for uh, nearly 1,800 years. That's a shock to most people because they just, they just don't realize it because we just get inundated with certain ways of thinking. And then the, the preachers that have taught us and, uh, and the Bibles that they used and the concordances and everything else. And so I uh, also did one on, on the power of the gospel. We did one... Uh, on how to understand the Bible, how to study it, how to comprehend it also for yourself, how to have a proper relationship with the scriptures because it's extremely important to know that not everything uh, in the Bible uh, actually correctly declares who God is. Not everything in the Bible is there uh, to just tell us what God is like. There's a lot of things in the Bible to tell us what God is not like. Uh, you know, I, to me, a great example is Job 42 uh, God shows up, and, and there was 42 chapters of Job speaking with his friends, and God shows up in chapter 42, and he says, I'm a little upset with this guy Eliphaz, the Tamanite, for he has completely misrepresented me, and everything he said about me is not true. But yet, uh, I heard sermons my whole life from Job 5 all the way to Job 42, saying, thus says the Lord, but then the Lord shows up in chapter 42 and says, everything he said, don't believe none of it. <laughs> And so, you know, it's amazing how we'll pull verses out here and there and not actually read the whole book because the whole book actually gives context to what it all means. But then the beautiful thing is this, the Bible at times says stuff about God that's not true, but then God can also take something that someone said about him that's not true and make it true. Because then when you get over in the New Testament, Paul actually begins to quote Eliphaz the Tamanite in Corinthians, and Paul makes it scripture in the New Testament because he said not everything Eliphaz said was wrong. (laughs) And so it's just amazing how when you start putting all this stuff together and realize the Bible is not the fourth person of the Godhead, amen. I don't have a relationship with a book. I have a relationship with a person. 
Amen. And the, and I'm grateful for the book. I'm grateful that we have all of the uh, all of the you know translations we have. Thankful on a phone we can look up anything that we want. But we are not called to be biblians. We are called to be Christians. Uh, and there's a lot of people that will use the Bible to beat people and totally miss the heart of Jesus in the midst of it. And and we're called to be like Christ, not just not just be like the book. And the book is still very important. And God wrote it's inspired. Uh, he inspired men to write it for one reason or another. But as I love my my favorite author and theologian N.T. Wright, one of the most well respected men on the planet today, he says the Old Testament is a picture of us. The New Testament is a picture of God revealed in Christ. I love that. I think I think it's 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 a beautiful picture. He said it's old is all about men trying to figure out who God is, and the new is God saying shows up and says, "Let me show you who I really am." And because you've logically tried to figure me out, so instead God says, "I'm going to send the Logos, my son." With the word Logos means logic and reasoning. I'm going to logically and reasonably show you what I'm really like because you find out who I am in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why John one eighteen says, "No man had seen God at any time until Jesus." who came from the Father, revealed him. That means you can't understand God through Moses. You can't understand God through Isaiah. You can't understand God through Jeremiah. They looked through glass darkly. They knew in part, and they understood in part. Jesus is the full revelation of the Father. And if I want to know what God is like, if I want to know how God feels about people, how he feels about sin, how he feels about sinners, how he feels, uh, you know, when he's, being, when he's being crucified, his response is forgiveness, his response is mercy, his response is love, and he's always been that way, always been that way. And so uh, the, just fun stuff, but I will have four of them by then. My goal over the next four years is to have at least 20 or 30 of them out that people can go and actually uh, they can watch the courses according to how much time they have because, you know, most folks don't have six hours to just sit down <laughs> and, and watch something. But I can watch 15-minute clips here and there, or half-hour clips, and then go back to it and stuff like that. So it's some things I'm very excited about because I know it also lasts way longer than me. That means no matter, you know, no matter how long I'm still going to be alive, I mean, that can go on hundreds of years. The, the, the miracle of, of videos and YouTube, I mean, it can be a little scary, too. That means some of that stuff you put up there, some folks are going to be watching a couple hundred years from now and shaking their heads saying, them crazy folks back in 20, 2019 and the 21st century, them folks, them folks were half crazy. And, uh, but also... Uh, if you haven't got my book, make sure back at the table, I, I have my book. I deal with all the different ideas of, of myths we believed about God. I believe it would be a blessing to you. Also, I've got a bunch of uh, USBs back there with 62 hours of teaching. And also, I have back there packets. I've shared it here before. Uh, ever since this whole COVID thing happened, uh, for the first time ever, a lot of the ministries that feed children in third world countries, uh, they have not grown. Uh, they've just barely maintained. Uh, we happen to partner with Compassion International, which we love. There's some great uh, ministries out there. I know, you know, you guys were dealing with the one this morning with Feed the Children, another great organization. But many of them that help sponsor children in third world countries, help clothe them, feed them, and educate them because so many people lost their jobs. How many know that if you lost your job and you're just trying to pay your bills, it's a luxury to be able to spend, send $38 a month to a child in a third world country. 
and normally you can't do that. But maybe maybe uh, you have continued in the midst of this to be blessed, and if you've ever considered sponsoring a child and taking care of someone in need, uh, meet me back there at the table. You can actually pick the child and sponsor one for yourself. Or if you have a business, there's businesses that sponsor children, and they put up, you know, they put up their pictures in the offices and, and things like that. I think it's a huge a huge thing to be able to do, and it ends up being a huge blessing to you also uh, to be able to help minister to someone outside of uh, your realm of scope and authority. So, all right, well, turn with me to the book of Matthew, please. The book of Matthew, and we get to my assignment for, for this morning. Matthew chapter 1, and, and this, when I read this, it's going to probably feel like a Christmas message, and yet we're quite a ways away from Christmas, but I, I really want to hit some stuff with the birth of Jesus that I believe is very relevant to where we are right now. Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man had not, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded or told to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Everyone say Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. Now, of course, normally uh, a passage like this is something that we tend to, we tend to read at, in and around Christmas time. But over the last six months, there's one thing I've been continually just thinking about and meditating on is this idea of that when God began to manifest in flesh, he chose through this angel to declare himself as Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know about you, but it's extremely interesting to me that one of the first revelations of the New Testament that God gave is he removed the idea from Joseph's mind of separation. He removed from his mind because, you see, it's one thing to know that God is. There's a lot of people right now uh, that struggle with the idea that God is, that he is even a being, that, you know, they struggle with uh, being atheists and agnostics and believing that God is even out there. But then once you've decided that perhaps there may be a God, it's a whole nother thing to begin to understand that God is actually with me. He's, he's with me. You know, it's, uh, it's one thing to know that someone is around. It's another thing to know that they're they're with you. That no matter what you're going through, they're there and they are with you. Because let's be honest, all through the Old Testament, it was not a revelation of God with them. God was only with them when they were with God. 
Matter of fact, the only time God was with you is when you turned from your sin and you left your wicked ways. And then if you dotted the I's and you crossed the T's and you fulfilled the law, God was with you only after you did all of the certain things just right. And in the midst of that, in their mind, God would then separate from you every time you separated from God. And God wasn't really with them. God was there. He was real. But was is God actually with us? When you're going through a difficult season, it's not just knowing that God is, it's knowing is he, is he with me? When, when, when my finances are falling apart and I've lost my job and I don't know what's going to happen and there's circumstances going on in my home and my house and my family and physically and there's sickness and there's diseases that are, are racking our lives and we're like, well, is, is God with me? Because we've all been through some type of situation where we know in our minds that God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but we don't always feel like God is with us. It's like, God, are you still there? I think Jesus, even on the cross, we know that God never forsook Jesus on the cross, but it didn't mean that Jesus didn't feel forsaken on the cross. How many here have ever felt forsaken? But how many of you know, according to Scripture, you actually never were because he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He, he is God with us, whether we're with him or not. You see, the mindset of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament was God wasn't always with them. That was their understanding about God because they believed that God would separate from them. He was over there, out there, in the distance. And the beauty of God becoming flesh, the incarnation, is that God entered into our humanity with us and became one of us. To me, the whole idea of God becoming flesh is one of the most powerful things to meditate on. I think I may have even shared this here a few years ago, but I remember I would sit and meditate on the cross, and it, it, would, it would move me. I would sit in my office and think about the pain and everything Jesus went through. But one day it hit me that actually God becoming flesh, the Word, the Son, becoming flesh, became more powerful to me even than that simply because... When, when the word left eternity and stepped into time, the son knew that he would never return back to eternity the way that he left. He left eternity as a spirit with, with no body. He was, he was God in spirit, and then he chose to become like us. You see, I think, I think a lot of times in a lot of the church world, we don't, we don't have very good doctrine on suffering. We don't, we don't know how to talk about suffering. We, we just think, well, you know, good God, bad devil. If it's suffering, it's, it's demonic and it's all the devil. But the truth is, all of us have gone through situations. We've all dealt with suffering. We've all dealt, whether it's a pandemic that is literal or it's an emotional pandemic or it is a, a financial pandemic or it is a mental pandemic. But in the midst of all of that, this beautiful picture of God leaving eternity manifesting his flesh, knowing something amazing. The word, the son, knew he would never return to the father the way he left the father, but that for all of eternity, he would be limited to a physical body forever. Because according to Paul, Paul tells us, speaking to his protege Timothy, there is a man in heaven praying for us right now. 
That means that the Word, the Son of God, put on flesh, and He never got rid of the flesh. It's now glorified flesh, but God the Father is the Spirit, knowing that we would always still need a man to relate to the Father through. Imagine you're all-powerful. You can be everywhere all the time, and, and you're, you're this incredible Spirit, and all of a sudden you love humanity so much, you limit yourself to a body forever. I began to sit and meditate on that, and it moved me in such an incredible way because the cross is for a moment. Pain is for a moment. But choosing to love so much that you wrap yourself in flesh, and then you make up your mind that for all of eternity, there's going to be a man seated at the right hand of majesty on high, that we'll always be able to relate to through to the Father. That he's the firstborn of many brethren. That means he was the first resurrected one, and there's a man in heaven. That's why we're never called the body of Jesus. Jesus has got his own body. We're called the body of Christ. That's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that was in Christ reconciling this world. So sometimes we don't know what to do when someone's going through a difficult time when the truth is sometimes all we need to do is just be with them. Formulas, you know. But see, sometimes the church don't know how to do that. We're, we like to give formulas, you know. Just confess it away, sister. Just, you know, just, you don't have to believe that, brother. And in the midst of it, they're like, but I'm, but I'm going through something right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. There's confusion all the way around me. I mean, there's so much confusion in the last six months. I've never seen so much confusion. And, you know, you don't know what to do when someone's going through a difficult season. When someone dies, let's be honest, none of us know what to say. So the best thing is to just shut up and be with them. Just be quiet. And, and sometimes folks, they don't, they don't want our wisdom. <laughs> they just, I want to know, are you, are you with me? I have, a, I have a spiritual son. Many of you, uh, you've not met them yet. One of these times you guys need to get John and Stacy down here. But uh, his name's John Scott. And uh, John, him and I are the same age. He's a son to me, but we're the same age. But he's uh, a big, tall thin brother, and uh, grew up in Gary, Indiana. And about eight years ago now, uh, I get a phone call one day, and he's a wreck on the phone. I'm like, John, what is going on? And he said, my, my son just committed suicide. Uh, his son had been in the Navy, and his son got out of the Navy, and they believe it was some form probably of PTSD or something, and he hung himself, his his wife, and then at that time, they had a year-old little son, found him. Uh, there wasn't any wisdom <laughs> I could give him at that moment. You know, all, all, all I did was cry. I, I, I can't imagine uh, finding out that one of my children did that. I mean, that's horrifying to me. I mean, you talk about like a parent's worst nightmare, but in the midst of that, I called them almost every day, sometimes, sometimes even more for about six to eight months because he wasn't even allowed to go back to his job. He was a postal worker, and you know, there's a reason they call it going postal. <laughs> that's why he had to go to psychologists and everything else, and they would check him out because they didn't want anything to begin to happen when he went back to his job. And and 
it really wasn't about giving him some big revelation and wisdom. He just wanted to know, are you with me? There's, there's an incredible power. And you see, one thing this pandemic has done to us is we know people are with us on Facebook. But, but a lot of times we're actually not able to be with each other. And there's an incredible power in community. There's an incredible power of being able to have someone just look you in the eye and say, man, I, I believe in you. I'm with you. I want you to know I'm, I'm here. I don't always know what to do. I'm probably going to say the wrong thing. I'm telling you what, man, I'm a bull in a china shop sometimes. I, I say the wrong stuff quite often. I'm, I'm not the best. I'm not the most empathetic person. I'm, I'm a personality. I've had to work on empathy like, like to the nth degree. You know, I've had friends of mine that have gone through very difficult things. And one of my friends, he went through a very difficult divorce. And, and you know, he called me, fell apart, and I cried with him. I cried with him for two weeks. But then after two weeks, uh, you know, I was like, suck it up, big boy. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> this is your new normal now, you know. And he was crying a year later, you know. And then he, then he kind of got upset with me. We had to forgive each other and everything else because, you know, I, I, my empathy ran out after about a couple weeks. But I was still with him. There's just something about this idea that God is not, he's not Bette Midler. He's not somewhere off in the distance. And the beautiful thing is this, is the angel tells Joseph, God's not just with Christians. He said the revelation that God was bringing to humanity is God is with us, not just with those who pray a magic prayer. In other words, God is not as distant as you think. That's why they were worshiping, and he sees a statue to him. He's walking around Athens, and he sees all of these gods that they were worshiping, and he sees a statue to an unknown God. And he said, when I was walking around your city, and I saw this statue to an unknown God, a God who you have been worshiping, he said, I'm here to declare to you, you have been actually worshiping God. You just didn't know his name, and God is not far from Sometimes when things are going chaotic and crazy around us, we start to think, are you there, God? Have you ever been there? Like, God, are, are you sure? I'm, God, I, I don't know if I'm hearing you. I don't know if I feel you. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I'm telling you what, I, I get phone call after phone call. The last six months, I've gotten more phone calls. Folks say, man, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going on. This is going on, and that's going on. This is falling apart. That's falling apart. And in the midst of it, because isolation it, it, it produces this stuff and makes it even exponentially take off because we're made to be together. We're made to be with other people, even if you're an introvert. I know COVID, the first couple months, introverts were like, whoo, welcome to my normal life. <laughs> They're like, we love, we love this. Introverts started to love that folks in church stopped coming up and hugging them. They're like, thank God, now I'll go to church again. Greeting time, introverts hate greeting time. They're like, just, oh, please don't say, turn to your neighbor. Just, I don't want to do that. But we're all made, we're made for connection. And God, through this angel, speaks to Joseph. And he says something, he says something incredible. He said, there's a scripture that's going to be fulfilled when this Jesus shows up. And Jesus is going to show humanity that God is with them. 
that the idea of separation has been an illusion. The idea that God has been far off over here and man has been over here has never been true. God has always been the one that has pursued man. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't turn away from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve turned away from God. When Cain killed his brother, God didn't turn away from Cain. Cain came and talked. God came and talked with Cain, put his finger on his forehead and marked him so others wouldn't kill him. God is not the one that has been turning away from us. God is with us, but we also need to be with him. You see, the the idea of reconciliation is always two-way. It's never one way. I mean, I, I can make up in my mind to reconcile with you if you hurt me or harm me, but it's not a reconciliation until you respond back. That's why God reconciled us in Christ Jesus. Katalasso is the Greek word. It's literally a conciliation. That means God, from his side, made up his mind to be, he's good with all of humanity. But then Paul goes on to say, but now we beg you as ambassadors, be reconciled back to God. In other words, God's good with you, but now you also need to be good with God. I think it's amazing, and I've been meditating on this a little bit lately, that Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And notice the verbiage. He said, life can't separate you, but neither can death. Have you ever actually thought that one through? That means even after you die, you can't be separated. Uh, you got to just think on that. If you think on that one a minute, there's some stuff that's going to cause your brain to go on overload for just a moment. He said, death can't even separate you from his love. His love as a good father is always pursuing. He's with us. Now let me, are we we doing all right? I hope I'm helping somebody. See, there's two main figures in this story, Joseph and Mary. Joseph is a word that means God shall add or bring increase. Mary is translated rebellion, rebellious, obstinate, bitter, and trouble. Joseph is called the son of David. David means beloved. So God is wanting to bring increase to the son of the beloved, but it is found in how he chooses to treat Mary, who is rebellious, obstinate, and bitter. Hmm. See, how we view others has much to do with seeing increase in our own lives. Can we see Jesus in them or only their rebellion, obstinance, bitterness, and trouble? Jesus was amazing at seeing what was in others and speaking, you've heard me say this here, speaking to the sun in them rather than the sin in them. Joseph called salvation, Yeshua, Jesus, out of Mary, out of rebellion. Or he spoke to what was in her and to her potential. Imagine what would happen if we realize that God's not only with me. I mean, let, let's be honest. I, I think I mentioned it yesterday during the teaching, but the religious spirit right now during this elections year has been on display. Because the religious spirit 
is like the Pharisees. You know that the word Pharisee means separatist? So anytime you have a mindset of us and them and those people and, and what they're doing, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, those, 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 those. Anytime you have a mindset, and right now we have a culture, this cancel culture that we live in demonizes anybody that thinks different than they do. I'm old enough to still remember a day where you could sit down and have civil discourse and disagree without being disagreeable. That you could actually sit down and have a debate and not hate each other. That you can have different ideas and you can have different thoughts and it's actually okay. But, but a religious spirit says, I'm right, you're wrong. God's with me and God's not with you. God's only with people that think like me. He's only with people that look like me. He's only with people that vote like me. And if you don't think like me, look like me, and vote like me, then you are the devil. You are the demonic one. You are this or you are that. And let me tell you, religion is not just dealing with church stuff. Politics is a religion. I said yesterday, I, I, I wish that all the church folk I saw on Facebook that are so passionate about politics would get that passionate about the kingdom of God. I mean, think about how we would turn the world upside down if we got that passionate about loving on people. If we got that passionate about being with people, you see, there's a reason why we're told not only to love our enemies, but then we're also told that God would spread a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Maybe he would spread a table there because if you ever sit down at a table with your enemy and have a meal and be with them, you'd find out that you got more in common than you do against each other. Maybe a shared meal would absolutely change how you view that person. Just, just maybe that enemy would stop being an enemy and God tells us to love our enemies, not his enemies, because God doesn't have any enemies. He's a friend of sinners. No greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends. God does not view mankind as enemies. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, we are enemies of God only in our own minds. We think God is against us when the truth is when Jesus showed up wrapped in flesh, he came to reveal God is with us. He's not just with me. He's with, he's with us. Joseph named him, and he could have chosen something else, but obeyed the dream, just like John the Baptist. He was supposed to be named after his father, but an angel changed that. The Young's Literal Translation, when it says God with us, Emmanuel says with us, he is God. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could realize that they were always sons of God. But they just didn't know it. God became one of us to be able to relate with us no matter what we're going through. You see, Jesus was such an amazing example. There's times Jesus would heal people, and there's sometimes he would just be with people. There's sometimes Jesus would get them out of the storm immediately, and sometimes they'd go through the storm. 
Sometimes he would do a miraculous thing, like, like something would change immediately. It, it, it's like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. All of the law keepers are wanting to stone her and saying, God's not with you. And when she stands before God in flesh, he bows down and gets closer to all of her mess and all of her issues. And he says, no matter what they think, no matter what the law said, I am with you even though you don't feel like I am. In the midst of all your mess, in the midst of all your pain, the prodigal runs from the father, and he thinks the father will never be with him. But when the father sees him coming back in the distance, daddy takes off running and embraces him, letting the son know, I've always been with you. I've never left you nor forsook you. You chose to walk away from me. You didn't want to be with me for a season, but my heart is always, always wanted to be with you. Imagine if what, what we'd preached through the years. I, I used to get up and, man, I used to get up and tell people, God's not with you. Matter of fact, he don't even like you. He's not for you. He's against you because he's against sin. And the whole time, I'm so glad God was gracious with me and patient and long-suffering. Because in the midst of that, he had to show me. He's like, listen, I'm, I've always been... With him. I'm a very present help in time of trouble. Isn't it interesting that God tells us when you go through the fire, I'll be there. When you go through the flood, I'll be there. In other words, I'm not the one leaving. He was always the one in the midst of the crowd. There's no accident why he was the one that was crucified in the middle cross between other individuals because he's always in the middle of our situations and our mess, whether we sense him, whether we feel him, whether we know it, whether we comprehend it or not. He's with us. He's with us. And because he's with us, I can't walk around saying, God's with me because I do this, this, and this, but God's not with you because you do this, this, and this. See, the, the, the us there, I think, is so powerful and so important because it, it makes it inclusive because Jesus didn't die just for a few. He died for all. He reconciled all, but it doesn't mean that all have reconciled back to him. You see, there still is in our life a response back. He's already done it all for all of humanity. All of humanity, Paul gets up on Mars Hill and says, all of humanity is in Christ because in him you live and move and have your being, but not all of humanity have awakened to Christ in them. Something happens when you have an awakening that he's with you, that he's in you, that he's above all, that he's through all, that he's in all, that he's the father of all. Something literally changes. Something shifts in your mindset when you realize God is with me. And he's with me not because of me. He's not with me because of my faithfulness. He's with me because of his faithfulness. Matthew 1 starts with God with us and ends with Jesus saying, for although I am with you even to the end of the age. It starts with God is with us. It ends with God is with us. He calls the 12, the the disciples first to come be with him. He didn't call them to be apostles. He said, come be with me. I want you to know that I'm, I'm with you. You are with me. And there's something about that proximity of community. 
that when we're with each other, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I have a, it's not an ungodly fear. It is a, an awe, if you may. I, I, I wonder if when this pandemic lifts, whether, whether that means a bunch of people want to take a shot or, or, or whatever, just whatever's going to remove the fear from people from meeting again, that sometimes we've gotten so out of the habit of being with one another, I wonder if we're ever going to be able to make it back. I wonder if our churches are ever going to look like they were. I wonder, I wonder if the, the masks have not been just a picture of what our lives have really been like because rather than being transparent and real with people, religion has pretty much taught us just to put up a good mask anyway. Just to fake it till you make it. Maybe, maybe this is a natural thing that's showing a spiritual reality that that's how a lot of things have been. And maybe, maybe we like the mass up because we can stay anonymous. We can, nobody has to know if we're scowling at them or smiling at them. That frustrates me more than anything when I'm at a store and you don't know if someone's smiling at you or flipping you off. You know, I mean, you, you don't know. You have no idea because there's a mask on. He's a friend of sinners. He was called a wine-bibber because he was with them. John 14 through 16, he said, I would always be with them by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 23, he says, no matter what you go through, I'm there with you. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 16, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. This was near his death and strong time of persecution. He'll be with us in every area of our lives. And let me name just a few and then I'll stop. He'll be with you in the midst of your sin and shame. He's not holding your issues against you anyway. He's not the one running away from us. He's the one running towards us. So no matter what we feel, no matter what we're going through, he's not the one running. He's with us in our searching and our unbelief. You know, it almost feels like in a lot of the church world, you're almost afraid to say out loud if you're struggling with believing something. It's almost like, well, oh, don't say that, bro. You can't have any unbelief, but yet the apostles are like, Jesus, we're having a hard time believing. Help us with our unbelief. I mean, when you're going through certain situations and circumstances, man, I mean, it, listen, we can get, we can say all we want. Well, the Bible says, or I was taught this, but when you're going through something, what you need is God in flesh being with you. you. You need somebody to hold up your arms. Moses didn't need just God up on the mountain saying, you got this, Moses. He needed Aaron and her holding up his arms. We need each other. We're called to be with, with one another. We're called to be with him. We're called to be with one another. And God is not afraid of our doubts. Matter of fact, the only way you can have belief and, and real faith is that you had some doubts. We all struggle with doubt. I don't, I don't care who you are. Every single one of us have struggled at one time. And especially right now, in, 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 in the last 10 years, much of the body of Christ has been going through a season of deconstruction. I mean, it's like we've been deconstructing things that we were always taught, things that we always believed. And in the midst of our deconstruction, what we have to be careful of is if we're not constructing good things in the midst of it, then things start falling apart all the way around us. I have friends of mine that were deconstructing so much that they turned into atheists. 
because in the midst of deconstructing, they, they weren't constructing at the same time. God is with us in our doubts and our searching. When we're struggling with believing, he's, he's there. He's, and you know what? He's not freaked out by it. He's actually like, you know what? It's okay that you have some doubts. Just know I'm going to be here. I'm patient. I'm with you. You're going to be okay. Trust the Holy Spirit inside of someone to lead them into truth. We've all had our children experience this maybe at one time or another. And if you haven't yet, trust me, by the time your children are teenagers, they're going to have a season and then especially when they get in college, they're going to be searching. There's some things they're going to start questioning because they're going to hear things from the professors and they're going to be taught different things. And in the midst of that, just trust that the Holy Spirit that is within them is the one that's going to lead them into truth and they're going to be okay. That we don't have to be afraid of all of this stuff. He's also with us in the midst of our seclusion. When we feel alone, he's with us in the midst of Imagine Joseph. Joseph gets this amazing dream from God. He's got this incredible favor with his father. And all of a sudden, Joseph ends up in a pit by his brothers. Then he's delivered out of the pit. And then God raises him up again. He's like, God's with me. And then he ends up in prison. He did nothing wrong. He actually did the right thing and ended up going to prison for doing the right thing. In the midst of that, it would be easy for Joseph to just say, man, what is going on? God, are you even are you even with me? I'm in prison right now, and I'm supposed to be ruling. What is, what is going on? He's with us in the midst of our, our own scandals and scapegoating. He's there when Adam blames Eve. He's there when Cain murders his brother. He's there in the midst of all of the things in our lives that we go through, the things that we don't, uh, you know, we pray that no one will ever find out about. And in the midst of it, he's like, I'm with you. I know all. You can't hide anything from me. And in the midst of it, he's like, I'm, I'm with you even then. I don't, I don't run away from you when you have a bad day. God's not a fair-weather friend. A friend loves at all times. Friends don't love you just when you're in agreement. Friends don't love you when everything is going okay. They don't just love you when you can do something for them. They love you period. A friend loves at all times. And he's a friend of sinners. He's with us in the midst of our suffering and our sinking. That when we're Peter and we get out into the boat of life and we get out on the water and we feel like we're about to sink and everything's falling apart, He's even there to lift us up and say, it's okay. You're not going to sink. I want to I encourage everybody that's listening to this, everybody that will watch this, everyone, everyone that is here. I know this has been a chaotic year. That's why when we didn't know who the president was on that first night, I was like, well, of course we don't. I mean, nothing's going to be normal in 2020. I mean, there's just been nothing, nothing but chaos. It's like, if it's supposed to go right, it goes left. I mean, this has been one of the most insane years I've ever seen in my entire life. And in the midst of it all, God is still whispering. I'm still there. Regardless of who is inaugurated in January, I am still 
with you. It doesn't matter what party is in or what party is out. I am still with you. And not only with you, I'm with all of you. Even if you don't feel I'm with them. My love for them is just as strong as my love for you. My love for your enemies is just as strong as my love for you because they're your enemies, not mine. I still view them as my offspring who I love, and I'm, I'm, I'm with them. You see, Jesus didn't just come to show us what God is like. He came to show us what a human is supposed to be like. Nobody knew how to be a real human until Jesus showed up. Jesus became our example of how a human treats another human. He was our example of loving the unlovely. He was our example of of being with the least of these. He was our example of, of, of forgiving those who were harming him and crucifying. He had no retribution in him. His heart was always restorative. Everything about him, he's like, listen, if you want to know what my daddy really looks like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And I, I'm here to reveal something that he's with you. He's crazy in love with you. He's better than you ever thought. And he's your father even if you didn't know you were a son. That's why Jesus one day is cornered by some of John's disciples and some Pharisees and they said, John taught his disciples how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus gives them a shocker. He said, okay, let me show you how to pray. When you pray, pray our Father. In other words, you were always his sons. You just didn't know you were his sons. You've never been separated from him. He's always been with you. Matter of fact, before you even prayed a prayer, before you ever came to church, he was with you. He was that voice on the inside of you that you thought was intuition. He was that voice that told you don't go down that road or don't do this or don't do that. In, in, in the middle of things, before you knew anything about who Jesus was or God was, because Paul tells us he's the father of all and he's above all and through all and in all. And the mystery that's been hidden from the ages is a mystery to Gentiles and the mystery is Christ in them, the hope of glory. That means he's always been there whether you knew it or not. Almost everyone I've ever talked to that had not had been in a season when they didn't know who God was and didn't know anything about him, once they have this awakening and this experience with God and this knowing, it dawns on them when they hear his voice that that voice had always been there. They knew that God's heart was always there for them, and they're like, wow, I didn't recognize it. I didn't know because he's always been with us. I want to I just encourage you guys. I, I, I don't know what everyone watching is going through or will go through. This may not even be about what's going on right now in your life. I just want to encourage you today. God's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He is passionately pursuing you. He's the one. That's why the gospel has gotten this simple to me. Imagine you live 70 years of your life and you live as an orphan. You have no family. 
You've, you've lived in, in all kinds of mess and issues and addiction, and you've been living in the pig pen, and at 70 years old, someone informs you that you're not an orphan, that you actually have a father who has been searching and seeking for you your whole life, and he actually has set up an account. He's got $20 million in an account for you to take care of all of your needs according to his riches, and not only will take care of you, but your children and your children's children, and he's passionately in love with you. Imagine you find that out. What good news. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not announcing that you're far from God. The gospel is announcing that God is with you. And that he was with you even when you didn't know that he was with you because he is Emmanuel. And in the original Hebrew, it's in man uel. In man our God. He's with us. He's there to encourage us. So how do we apply this? We must see him in each other. We make up our mind that my increase may have everything to do with how I choose to see the Savior in the midst of rebellion and obstinance and issues in other people's lives. Because I learned this a long time ago, and God's had to show me this through the years. I don't judge what someone does. I don't want to know the what they did. I want to know the why. I want to know why did you do that. Because what we tend to do is we see what people do, and we start to point the finger or we judge or we kick them to the curb. Rather than actually get to the root, we judge the fruit. That's why for years the church preached about sin. Sin is the fruit. Sin's not the problem. The reason people sin is because they don't know who they are as sons. Identity is the issue. That's why the the root word for sin, hamartia, when you go back to the original root form, it literally means mistaken identity. So the reason that, that men had this whole idea of sin is because there was a mistaken identity that started in Adam, and it's, and it's getting back to our proper identity in Christ Jesus to now begin to see ourselves the way he sees us. And so rather than focus on how people are acting and think it's nature, maybe it's nurture. Maybe... Maybe the reason people act a certain way is because that's been the example that was set before them. That's why you can take two children from the same hospital, put them in two different families, and one is given to a loving family who loves them and affirms them and believes in them and encourages them, and that child turns out totally different than the child that is thrown into a, a chaotic situation where the family's a wreck and, and, and the extended family is a wreck, and, and they get nurtured into them. They're the ones that then end up a lot of times doing crazy stuff because it's not a nature situation, it's a nurture situation. And a lot of times we don't take the time enough to be with people to find out why they do what they do. I'm reminded of a great example, and I'll stop with this. I read this several years ago. There was a, a man who gets on, uh, one morning he gets on uh, a subway in New York City, and he's got three little boys under 10 years old, and he gets on the subway, and he immediately falls asleep. He's exhausted. His eyes closed. He falls asleep. 
And while he's asleep, his boys are tearing the subway train up. I mean, they're climbing on things. They're jumping over people. You know, they're fighting, pushing each other. And everybody in the subway train, they're getting angry. These little unruly brats. And, you know, they're, they're getting upset. Like, someone needs to do something about this. About 10 minutes later, the man, he, he wakes up, and he sees the look on everybody's face. And he says to the whole subway car, he says, listen, everyone, please forgive my sons right now. Last night, about midnight, we had to bring their mother into the emergency room because she couldn't stop throwing up, and she had a migraine that lasted three days. So we brought her to the emergency room. We found out she had a brain aneurysm, and she died this morning. And they've been up all night with me, and we're on the way home right now to try to figure out what to do next. The train turned from anger to empathy immediately because it wasn't just judging the children for acting out. Now everybody knew why. They did what they did. I've tried my best and I've failed many times to try to, to try to find the why because if we can heal the why in you, the what is going to change. Fruit changes when roots get healed. That's, uh, that's why, you know, those of you that have met with my friend Nate, you found that to be true. You get the root dealt with, the fruit changes. Why do people act the way they act? We just tend to kick people to the curb. Because they hurt us, and we never take the time to be with people to find out, why would you do that? Why, why did that respond in your life? What, 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 what was a belief system in you that, that caused that? Because once you know God is, is with you, then we also need to learn to be Jesus wrapped in flesh and just be with people. There's sometimes words aren't going to help. Sometimes it's just people knowing we're there. That's why right now I, I want to encourage a lot of you, that, 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 you know, make up your mind to try to at least get to more than one service a month. Because the truth is you guys need each other more than you realize. That's not, that's not a legalistic thing. It's not saying, well, you got to go somewhere. I'm just telling you, there's something that happens with connection. And it amazes me. Folks will go to the grocery store. They still go to work, but they won't show back up. The services don't. It's an easy excuse. Well, you know, I'm concerned about this, that, and the other thing. Really? Then stop going to work. Stop going to the grocery store. Make sure you order yours in. I mean, if you're going to quarantine, quarantine. But it affects us. When we're not with other people, depression has gone through the roof over the last six months. Abuse has gone through the roof. People having to be stuck when they're not able to be with others. God made us for community. Made us to be with one another. There's incredible power that gets released with it. But know that God is with you. You're accepted by him and you're accepted in the beloved. God's not only with you, but we're with you. That's, that's what's going to keep people in the future. That's what people are looking for in a corporate body. They're not, they're not just looking for good teaching anymore. They can find that on the internet. They're not just looking for good worship. You can get better worship normally online. But community... You can't get that online. You think you can, but it's still not the same from being with somebody.
Bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you that you are with us and that you've always been with us. You don't throw us away in the midst of our issues, in the midst of our pain. You're never the one that abandons us. We've all been abandoned. We've all been forsaken. There's people that have told us, I'm always going to be with you, and they left us. And we, we've all experienced that at one time or another in our life. But we thank you that you are not that way. You came to show us what it means to be a true human, how a real human with God inside responds to other humans, loves and forgives, that keeps no record of wrong. You, you showed us what love actually looked like, that you're not easily angered, that, you're, that you hope all things, that you believe all things, that you choose to see the best in us even when we see the worst in us. Thank you that you're with us. Let that be a revelation in every one of our hearts and our minds that you you don't ever run from us. Even if we feel like you're not there, you're still there. If we feel like we're hopeless, we're not hopeless. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And we'll thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name. I want you to do something just real quick. Everybody, would you put your hand on your heart a moment? And I want you to just pray something with me. You know, the kingdom of God truly is voice activated. You have not because you ask not. There's something about when we open our mouths, it, it releases something. And I want you to just pray this with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you're with me. You're not only with me, you're with all of us. You're not exclusive to me or how I think and how I believe. Thank you that you're with me on my journey, when I'm struggling, when I'm in pain, when I'm experiencing suffering. You're still with me in the midst of all of it. In the middle of a pandemic, you're still with me. You're a good father. I trust you. Make it alive in my heart today that you are with all of us. In Jesus' name.